Tonight's Bible reading is Ephesians 4, verses 17 to 24, and can be found on page 1175 in our church Bible. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in understanding and separated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God, in true righteousness and holiness. Thanks, Julian. Let's um, pull it up a bit. And uh, we're going to be in, uh, so we're in Ephesians 4, page 11.75. Do please keep it open and uh, let's pray together now. Father, we pray that you would speak to us through the Bible. Please help us to understand this. Help us to uh, understand what we were like and what you've done and what we are like now. And help us to work this out in our lives, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, we were up in Lowestoft, um, November time it was, where I used to be the vicar uh, of Britain's most easterly church. That's completely irrelevant. That, uh, anyway, they were having an anniversary weekend, and I preached there, and then we stayed on for lunch. And one of the guys at lunch was, uh, I guess he's 21 now. And he had finished at uni and was about to go in either the police or the Royal Air Force. And we last saw him, I would say, to talk to properly 15 years ago. So he would have been about six then. And frankly, well, you wouldn't be surprised that he's um, quite a bit different from what he was when he was six. He's grown up a lot. He's a lot taller. uh, And he's become a really likable young man. Um, And I don't think... I would have recognised him in a crowd. I think Anna may have done, but I, I don't think I would have done. Uh, and then, I don't know what it was, two, three years ago or so, with our small group, we had dinner together, and we, we thought just um, for fun, we'd ask people to bring a baby photo. Uh, and then we put those up, and we were trying to match the baby photos to the, uh, to the individuals who were there. Now, obviously, the age of the photo uh, uh, itself may have been a bit of a giveaway. Uh, but even then, in several cases, it was quite hard to tell who was who. In fact, it was still hard to believe that they'd brought the right photo when you, put, when you found out and then put it next door to the person. Couldn't be more different. Well, this evening, we're on Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 17 to 24. And... This is the first of two sermons um, which go on to the next bit. So next Sunday night, look at verse 25, and it says, therefore. So this evening, we're really doing uh, the foundations uh, for next week's uh, passage as well. Uh, but they're really very important foundations. And I can say, you're not going to get next week unless you listen 
to this week. So maybe you know folks who couldn't get out because of the rain and uh, whatever earlier on. And uh, do encourage them to listen online to this because this will be a very important, is a very important foundation for what we'll be looking at next week. It's important on its own, but also important as a basis for next week. And uh, this is simply what we're going to say. You couldn't be more different. So be more different. You couldn't be more different. In other words, you couldn't be more different from what you were like before you became a Christian. And you couldn't be more different from those folks who are still not believers. So for us, we want to be what we are. We want to be more different. So you become a Christian, uh, or if you become a Christian, you couldn't be more different now from what you were like before. It is seismic. It is life-changing. It is eternity-changing. It is the biggest thing that has or could ever, ever happen to you or to anyone when you become a Christian. You could not be more different. So uh, we want to reflect that in our lives. We want to live that out. We would like to be more different. And, uh, And if you've become a Christian, it means... Because you are so different, you really can't carry on living the way like you used to. We just should be rather different, very different. Couldn't be more different from the way we are. We should be living different lives. And that means change, doesn't it, for all of us. The Christian life is about change. Now, some people don't get change and some people don't like change. And uh, um, the Duke of Cambridge, not the current one, but there was a different one in the late 19th century, and he said this, any change at any time for any reason is to be deplored. And that, frankly, is about the most unchristian thing you could possibly say. Because Christianity is fundamentally about change. So let's see the first point, and it is this. You were, and they are. So let's have a look at verses 17 to 19 here. Now, that begins so. So the the whole thing, as we're going through Ephesians, it is just following one thing after the other, isn't it? It is following through an argument. So we've just got to pop back into last week's sermon, okay? Now, obviously, last week we were seeing how God has given the church... Have a look at verse 11. Uh, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers to equip the saints, that's you and me, for works of service so that we can serve each other and grow to maturity and a mature unity in Christ. So uh, uh, if you're a mature Christian, you won't live like you used to live, will you? So, he then says, we're going to move on. And uh, he's got he's get very strong about this. So look at verse 17. So I tell you this... Because you've got these people in the church who are there to equip you so you may grow to mature unity in Christ. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. He said, guys, I'm extremely serious. He's writing to the church in Ephesus in the first century. And he's saying to them, look, I can't be much more serious than that, all right? I tell you this and I insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. You must no longer live... As those who are unbelievers, you must change. You must allow God to change you. And if we don't, something is deeply, deeply wrong. 
Because the fact is, you are a new person, he says. Now, it's quite easy, isn't it, for uh, Christians to act like one of these. Do you know what that is? Yeah, chameleon, yeah. That will change its colours to fit in with its background. And, uh, um, uh, but if, if we, but sometimes, as Christians, we act just like that, don't we? We change our colours to blend in with our surroundings. But the truth is, if we're Christians, we can't do that, because we are fundamentally different. We are very, very different now. I wonder, are people shocked? Say you've, you know, you're at work or something and you've been there, uh, I don't know, two or three weeks or something and then you let them know that you're a Christian. Are they shocked when you tell them? Or do they say something like, oh, mm, that makes sense. I can see you've been a bit different from the rest of us. Because Christians don't want to be chameleons, just fitting in and being the same as absolutely everyone else. So we're thinking this evening uh, in our first point about uh, uh, what we were and what they are now. Now there is a progression here and this is pretty hardcore stuff. So you can see it's almost like a kind of cascading waterfall in verses 17 to 19. And it's really summed up in that little phrase in verse 17, the futility of their thinking. Or it could be the emptiness of their thinking. And so much of the, of the, the way people think in our world about us is just kind of empty or futile or trivial or meaningless, isn't it? Yeah, for instance, um, say when someone dies, very sad, that relatives you know, they, they want some way of comforting themselves. And so they'll say something like, uh, oh, they're now a star in the sky looking down on us and keeping an eye on what we do. I guess that might help the grieving, but it's all a bit empty, isn't it? It's all a bit futile. It's all a bit not true. Well, it's totally not true. Or that uh, uh, lie that we all believe from time to time, that if we can just have that new kitchen, that new car, that new job, that new hairstyle, that new boyfriend, then everything's going to be all right and be fulfilled. But we all know that life doesn't work like that, does it? And people around us, and us too, I guess, can be very good at that trivial, vacuous, empty, futile thinking. But it's not just futile. So you can see this cascading waterfall here in verses 17 to 19. So it goes from hard hearts to ignorance to being darkened in their understanding to being alienated from God to being desensitized to living a life of sensuality and purity and greed. As someone has called it, it's not so much a cascading waterfall but it is a, a downward spiral of evil. Let's go through it again. Hard hearts, ignorance, darkened in our understanding, alienated from God, desensitized, and living a life of sensuality, impurity, and greed. The hard hearts, um, look at verse 18 there, do you see that? And the word in the original is porosis, from which we get osteoporosis, brittle bones. Brittle bones because they've actually got hard and it, like a pane of glass, can break. Um, or... Uh, 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 or one of the translations of the Bible says, um, 
uh, minds that have grown hard as stone. And then there's ignorance. I know he's a little old hat now, but uh, uh, Richard Dawkins, he's a very intelligent man, isn't he? Um, And uh, he wrote this in his book, The God Delusion. I've described atonement, the central doctrine of Christianity, as vicious, sadomasochistic and repellent. We should also dismiss it as barking mad. Well, Richard, it's not mad. It's love. And you may be brilliant but you're ignorant and you're blind, spiritually blind. That's what the Bible talks here about being darkened in your understanding and alienated from God. And in verse 19, it talks about being desensitized so that actually your morals begin to be affected from your own ignorance. That is what happens to the folks around us in the world in which we live. That's what we were like. In our pre-Christian days. And it's devastating. Um, this, you look at those verses there. Look at verses 18 and 19. Just glance your eyes over the, them again. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. You can just imagine a sewage works and a tsunami coming out of it, can't you? Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they're full of greed. And this immorality is not harmless fun. It's like an acid which dissolves trust. It's a sewer which fouls relationships. It's a rust which eats away at the soul. And you see, the whole thing is rather like a prison cell. And uh, so imagine yourself in a prison cell. There are some bars out. You peer out... But you know you're stuck, locked in this prison cell. And then you become Christians and Christ opens the door and you do leave. But there are daily temptations to crawl back into the cell. And from time to time we do. And God speaks to us. Maybe in a sermon. Maybe in this sermon. Maybe in your small group. Maybe a Christian friend who comes to the cell door and has offered us a hand to encourage us out. And to be honest, we find the prison cell miserable and wretched. And we don't want to go back there, but it has a pull and the stench is strangely compelling. But we need to remember that's the old life that is now decisively behind us. And we remember that every day, every day, you couldn't be more different now. We need to remember that we want to say Phil Moon, for instance. I say to myself, you couldn't be more different, so you've got to be more different. You put your name there instead of mine. You couldn't be more different. So we've got to be more different. So that's the first thing. 17 to 19 there, those, uh, those three verses, they're talking about us before we became Christians. They're talking about folks who are, who are not Christians. Um, that's what we were, and that's what they are still. Wow, that's something, isn't it? That's really hard. That actually makes our salvation extraordinarily wonderful. And look at the next thing, you see. It's... 
You changed. Or God has changed you. And now, well, look at verse 20. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. The you there has got a real underlined three times kind of thing. It's a radical change. And change um, is really important thing, isn't it? Um, and we're going to see here, first of all, thing to say here is that it's a big change. I mean, look at verse 20. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. He's looking back. He's looking at the stuff they learned in their early days as Christians. Um, the Bible that Anna and I grew up with in, as teenagers was uh, the Revised Standard Version, and, it, and it's translated this way. You did not so learn Christ. You did not so learn Christ. Bit of an unusual way of putting it. Not really. That's what we do. That's what happens. If you're not a Christian here tonight, this is what is happening right now. You are learning Christ. Now, if you're a teacher, you'll know the language of teaching and learning. I used to be a teacher. I don't think I ever used the language of teaching and learning. Probably didn't do much teaching, and they didn't do much learning. But anyway... Um, it seemed to be never around in my days. But this part of, of Ephesians, the picture is a school. It's a school. The church is a school. There's lots of teaching and learning going on. And Christ is the subject of the learning. When I used to be a geography teacher, I taught geography. I'm now a Christ teacher. I teach Christ. And by the way, I think that's a lot more important than geography. Getting your geography GCSEs and A-levels is important. But it's not nearly so much so important as the school you're in now and the stuff you're learning now. And so, so well, Christ is a subject. He's also really the teacher by his spirit, taking the word of God and applying it to our hearts and minds. And more than that, he's not just the subject and the teacher, he's also the environment in which it happens. As he indwells each of our hearts and souls by his spirit. So we are a people indwelt by Christ, we're teaching about Christ and learning about Christ happen. So, come expecting to be taught and to learn. Now, you might not think this is terribly great. Oh, this is church. I go to school every day and I wish I didn't. And I look forward to the holidays and so on. But actually, you know, when you go to school, guys, presumably you take a pen and some, you know, something to write on or whatever you do. And maybe you did some homework this weekend. And uh, uh, if you did exams and so on, you wanted to do well and, or, or a, a project or whatever. But how about having that attitude at church? I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to learn as much as possible. I want to read this passage before I come. I want to listen to this sermon online. I want to read this passage again when I get home. I want to do my homework, if you want to put it like that. And this is a huge change that has happened. It talks in verse 22 um, uh, about you were taught. This, pro this process of becoming Christians and of learning the Christian faith. And in verses 20 to 24, let's be absolutely clear about this. These are not commands. These are not commands. They are a description 
of what happened to us. A huge change. They were a description of what we were taught. Now, some older versions of the Bible, in verse 22 and verse 24, have it as commands. Put it off, put on. They're not commands. Okay? In the original, they're not commands. This is just what happened when you got converted. And that is your condition now. That's what you learned. This is what you know. That's what he's saying. uh, As you started again. Um, A past fact and the present condition. It's happened when you got converted. So it's a big change. And then um, the next thing, uh, a big difference, a big difference. A big difference between uh, now and what we were like. A big difference between us now and those who are not believers. It's huge. We can't be like we were. Because we're not like what we were. And there are three parts to this that have happened. First of all, you can see them for yourselves very clearly. It's put off, be made new, and put on. That's what has happened. Um, J.B. Phillips, guy who did a paraphrase of the Bible years and years ago now, uh, and look at verse 22, uh, and it talks about there you were taught, da da da, to put off your old self. And he said, what you learned so well was to fling off and to put on. And it's like getting changed, isn't it? It's not like you getting changed, but say a homeless person getting changed. Say a homeless person who's been living in the same clothes for the last six months. And you're down there on the seafront and you meet them and you say, look, I've got some new clothes. And I've got a place you can go, we can go and get changed. So you go and do that. And they come with you. And it takes about 40 minutes to get the socks off. Because he hasn't taken them off for six months. They're embedded in his feet. And the stench is unbelievable. And it's the same with the pants, once you've got the trousers off. And the shirt is stiff with dried sweat. And it's filthy. And he goes off to get a shower. And you can hear the pain as the sores are stung by the water. And the lice are sluiced away down the drains. And when you became Christian, that's what happened. And yet, unbelievably, we so easily just drift back to the remains of the old socks, to the disintegrated pants, to the shirt that you wouldn't touch without a pair of surgical gloves on. Look at verse 22. Put off your old self, that's what you were taught, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Yeah, we've still got our old self, the flesh. But why would you want to go back there? You've got undressed. Why would you want to put that on again? And then verse 23, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Be made new. That's the second part there. The word of God, renewing your mind. It's a process. It'll happen right now if you let God continue his work in your life. And the way it happens, the way God changes, really important that we should see this, is through his words, the Bible, to our minds, to change our thinking, to change our attitudes, to change our hearts, to change and redirect our wills and therefore to change our behaviour. It's like going into your head, down to your heart and out through your hands. That's the way it works. That's the way that God, by his spirit, 
changes our lives. That's how we are in verse 23. Made new. Put off. Be made new. And then the third, put on. Verse 24. You are taught to put on the new self. Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. When you're getting changed, you don't just take off one set of clothes and go out starkers, do you? You get dressed. And you find out quite a lot of things about these new clothes uh, next week. But we do have to get dressed. Some Christian uh, churches, there's a dress code for ministers, dog collars and robes. If you go to hospital, you'll see nurses dressed appropriately and physios and other staff there as well. You meet someone from the army, the Royal Air Force, the Navy, in their uniform, you can know which service they're in. If you went to court, the judge would probably be wearing a wig and a gown. If you go to a wedding, very often the groom and the ushers and the best man are dressed either in the same kind of suits or they've hired tails or whatever for the day. The bridesmaids would be in the same colour, very often, not always, and the bride would be the star of the show, wouldn't she? Looking absolutely brilliant. If you're a prisoner, you'll be wearing the same garb. And you take it off when you're released. You see, you will be dressed appropriately for the role you have. We are released prisoners. Prison garb's been taken off and flung away. And we now put on our new clothes, our new life. And we'll find out more about that next week. One final illustration. If you go to a really posh wedding and you're a bloke, uh, say you went to Harry and Meghan's wedding. For some reason you knew them and you got an invitation and uh, uh, you required to wear morning, morning dress, tails and so on for the occasion. And very few have their own morning dress, but uh, a friend does and he lends you his. Now when you're getting ready, you would presumably take your you know, jeans and a t-shirt off and so on and, uh, uh, and get dressed in the new stuff. You would not keep on your old t-shirt underneath the new dress shirt that you've been given, would you? Of course you wouldn't. And when you became a Christian, you removed your old clothes and you put on a whole new set of clothes. Tails, if you like. Because we're going to a wedding. So let's not carry on wearing our old clothes as if nothing has happened. Let's take off our old clothes. That's what we've learned. Take off our old life and let God renew us through his word and his spirit changing our hearts and put on a new life as he moulds us to become more like Jesus every day fact, the fact is, you couldn't be more different. So let's be more different. Come back next week. We'll find out more about practically what that means.